So I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And usually when you say Acts chapter 2 in a charismaniac church, people get excited. Um, but we're going to go all the way to verse 42. Acts 2.42. And this is what it says. We're going to read verses 42, 43, and 44. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Four things. I love that. You know, we have four things that we want to see happen in people's lives here at Harvest Church. We want people to experience Jesus, right? Get connected, discover their destiny, and then go out and change their world. And they had a similar four kind of things that, that they devoted themselves to. It says that everyone, in verse 43, was filled with awe. At the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. How many know we still believe in signs and wonders? Miracles. And all the believers were together. That's a good word right there, isn't it? They were together. And they had everything in common. Which was really an interesting phenomena that they would have all of their natural resources in a common availability for those that were in need and you know they had a and they had extenuating circumstances there was uh, a depression a famine in the land and so people were selling properties and stuff and using it to resource other people in the congregation to make sure that nobody went without which is really quite extraordinary I mean look, come on let's just be honest if we were in similar circumstances today I don't know if I would sell my house to look out for you I'd like to think that I would, but most of us would be like, hey, man, I sold the farm, and I'm going to the grocery store. I hope y'all all right, but I'm going to go get me and my family something to eat. But they had a different mentality and a different spirit about them, didn't they? This is an extraordinary group of people, and there's an insight, I believe, to why the church in the first century exploded the way that it did. Um. What was it about them that explains the explosive growth of the early church? And I think it's those three words in the beginning that are, I believe, in my humble opinion, three of the most undervalued and overlooked words maybe in the entire New Testament. Let's read them together out loud. It's the first three words of verse 42, Acts 2.42. It says that they devoted themselves say it with me they devoted themselves astounding so historians teach us that the early church it took them about 18 years to fully preach the gospel in the then known world so it took them less than two decades to rock the then known world with the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, mind you, they did this without social media. They did this without the internet. They did this without mass media. They did this without jet airplanes or even motorized vehicles. How did they do it? What was it about these people that enabled them to have such success to see so many millions of people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and they had the working of miracles in their midst. Lame people walking, blind people seeing. What was it about these people? What kind of people were they? Maybe is a better question. And we get the answer in Acts 2.42. They were 
devoted people. Devoted. I looked up the word devoted, and Brother Webster says that it means to commit by a solemn act. You know, earlier in the service today, um, two people raised their hand, and they committed the solemn act of devoting their lives to Jesus Christ. In our first service this morning, we had five people do that. They, they said, I'm committing my life to Jesus and to his lordship. That word devoted also means to give yourself over fully. Now, here's what I want you to do with me just for a minute. What would your life, what would my life, ask yourself this question, what would my life look like if I totally gave it over to Jesus' leadership and lordship to his control? Would my life look any different than it looks right now if I genuinely and completely gave my life over or devoted my life completely to the lordship of Jesus? Would anything change? Can we just take some time in this service and maybe even over the next week to imagine that life? What life? A devoted life. A completely devoted life. You know, we've studied the methods of the early church because we were curious about what they did to have such a profound move of God in their generation. And we've studied their methods. And I've even taught and preached in Bible colleges and Bible schools about the methods of the early church and what they devoted themselves to, you know, the apostles' doctrine, to prayer, to breaking of bread, to, to fellowship. And I think that we've spent so much time studying what they devoted themselves to that we forget something really important, and that is, who did the devoting? <laughs> they devoted themselves themselves so the only variable in every generation is the people the church God's people so God's the same the gospel is the same his purposes in the earth are the same but what's the X factor <laughs> it's us so every move of God that has, God has ever wanted to happen in every generation can only be as good as the people in that generation. And um, like we say down here in the South, sometimes God has had some slim pickings, <laughs> hasn't he? I mean, when God found Noah, he was the only righteous person on the earth. And you might think, yeah, there weren't very many people back then. Actually, historians think there was over 8 billion people on the earth around the time of Noah's flood. Some people even put it up to 11 billion. So he was the only one righteous. But how many know that that tells me that if God can only find one person this morning to completely devote themselves to him, he can flood the earth with his goodness he can open the windows of heaven and he can change uh, the earth. He can accomplish mighty things. Just through, There's the one person who devoted themselves could transform our community, could transform our city, maybe even change our nation. Just one person. And so any move of God is only as good as the caliber of the people that he has to work with in that move. And as far as God's concerned, he's made you as good as you're ever going to get. Jesus said, it is finished. His work is complete. Now, it's our, like in checkers, 
we're praying for a move of God, but how many know if you're playing a little kid in checkers, you know, and, and, and you move, and, and they sit there, and they, you know, they get distracted, and they go, well, are you going to go? And you go, well, it's not my move. And a lot of Christians are praying for a move of God, and God is saying, it's not my move. <laughs> it's your move. Well, what's our move? I think this is our move today, to devote ourselves fully and completely to Christ as individuals, yes, but also as a church, as a congregation. And I bring this up really for two reasons, because one, if there's any area where we need to improve, let's let the Lord help us to improve. But also I bring this up to encourage you, because you're here. You are devoted. In fact, last Sunday, the Sunday right after Thanksgiving, it's traditionally the, one of the least attended church services of the year by churches everywhere. We had over 400 and some people here. That's pretty, I mean, that's not our highest attendance ever, but that's not too shabby. And so I'm really proud of you. And I don't know if you know this or not, but our church has experienced this year only about 16% growth or increase in our attendance. And we've had over 400 plus people receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior just in our Sunday services. So... I'm not bringing this message to you today to beat you up, to tell you you need to get devoted, but to tell you that you are devoted. And when there's a group of people that devote themselves to the Lord, there's certain things that we can expect to happen. And one of those things is that they were in awe because of the signs and the wonders and the miracles that occurred. And so, uh, you know, 10 years ago, if I wasn't the pastor, I probably wouldn't have come to church here. But that's no longer my testimony. If I wasn't the pastor, this is exactly where I would come to church. I love this church because I love you. It's the church is the people, and you are the people, and you're amazing. And I don't know if you think that about yourself, but I brag on you all the time. And so I've been a part of this church, well, at the end of January, it'll be 16 years. I've been the pastor, lead pastor of this church, and I've been a part of this church for 20 years. I was the student pastor back in the, the 90s. I was about 12 years old, and I was... I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but uh, I've been a part of this church for 20 years of its 33-year history. And, and so I was a part of this church when there was... We were lucky to have 100 people show up when I first started pastoring, and we had, you know... Thank God for this building. It's a wonderful tool. It's not, it's not the church you are. It's just a place where we meet. Um, but I don't know if you know this or not, but this building is one acre under roof. It's 42,000 square feet, I think it is. And so uh, the insurance guy was in here the other day. Um, well, they were, have, we have an insurance guy, and then I invited his competition to come and to give us a quote, trying to save Jesus some money. <laughs> but anyway... Uh, so the, the competition was here. He'd never been in our building before. And he said what a lot of people say when they come in this building. They're like, this place is huge. I had no idea. It doesn't look this big from the road. You know, because from the interstate, you know, it's like a little squatty building. Only 15-foot ceilings. But it just keeps going, right? And, um, and so he was like, man, you guys have done a wonderful job with this. What was this building? I said, well, back in the day, it was a furniture warehouse. And... Um, uh, and then we got it, and, and there weren't very many walls. And so everything you see, for the most part, is built by volunteers. 
which is why if you've ever done any work with us around here, I had a construction. We took, it used to be a, where the cafe is, there used to be a wall. You had to go inside the cafe. Well, we decided about three, four years ago to take that wall down so it was just real open. And so uh, one of the guys in our church, he owns a construction company. He was here in the first service, and he was taking that wall down. And he said, Pastor, that's the crookedest wall I've ever seen in my life. I said, well, praise the Lord. It, you know, no perfect Walls allowed, right? Because <laughs> no perfect people built them. So, um, so I've had electricians here before, and I have one electrician. He goes, man, who did your wiring? I said, a lot of people. <laughs> just fix it, man. Just fix it. So anyway, but the, the insurance guy, he goes, man, you guys have done a, a wonderful job at, at like, renovating and refurbishing this building. I said, well, yeah, well, we've been at it a long time, and uh, we change stuff every now and again. But but my point is, is that uh, even though um, the building is not the church, it's the people that are the church. And the reason the church looks good is because of the people, because of you. And I've, I've been a part, I've, been, I've pastored this church when it, uh, it's not going to win any beauty contest now on the outside, but, it's, but it used to be ugly. I mean, I used to tell people, where do you pastor? I pastor the ugly church on the Beltline. You know, oh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. They, because it was just cinder blocks, and, and, and now it's got a little, you know, what's that stucco out there, you know, and it's, it's just a lot better. It's a lot better. And so, uh, but I've been a part of the church when it was ugly. I've been a part of the church now that it's, that it's nice. And I've been a part of the church when there's 100 people, and I'm part of the church when there's 500 people. And I've been a part of the church when li literally, and I know some people misuse that word, but when, when it's like, Lord, if we don't have a good offering this Sunday, we're going to have to shut this thing down. That was years ago. And we've since paid off our, our building, and, and, um, and we've borrowed money against the building to do a lot of the renovations that you see and that sort of thing. But I've been a part of this church at all different phases of the church. I've been a part when I had somebody, when, again, we had 100 people, and we were believing God to pay the bills. And, and um, somebody brought me a, a big check. And, uh, you know, music to a pastor's ears. Pastor, I want to write a check to the church. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. M-I-L-L-I-O-N. That's how you spell that. And, um, but I have when people say, oh, here's, here's a check, but here's what I want you to do with it. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let me just tell you something. When you give me, when that, that check gets into my hand, I'm going to put it in Jesus' hand, and you no longer get to decide what we do with it. Me and Jesus are going to decide what to do with it. And I've had people leave the church because they couldn't buy the pastor. And let me just tell you, it was tempting. You know, it's kind of like, hmm. uh, we had a $30,000 check that got taken back one time because I wouldn't do with it what they wanted me to do with it. And, but I thought, well, you know, if, if I'm for sale, I'm, I'm going to go for a lot more than thirty grand. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> So that was, that was hard because money was tight, and we needed it. Now, and I watched that check walk out of the front door, and I was like, okay, Lord, you better have our back. And I've, I've, I've been here when I've had people come and say, well, you know, I don't know if our family can be a part of this church. And I thought, well, why not? They said, well, you got too many black people here. And I said, well, let me show you where the front door is so you can go ahead and leave. <laughs> that really happened. Because this is not a white church. This is not a black church. What kind of church do we want? This is a microcosm of heaven. We want the people that live in our city. We want our church to look like the people that live in our city. And so we're not going to be bought. We're not going to be controlled. We're not going to be some kind of any sort of ethnic. We're going to be 
a Jesus Christian church where all people are welcome. Because there are churches, and, and God bless them all. I, I love all churches. But there are churches where some people don't feel comfortable going in those churches. And we don't want to be that church. We want to be the church that whether you pull up in a Mercedes in a three-piece suit or you push your grocery cart to the front door, you're welcome here and you feel welcome here. Right? And so... So whether you live in Spring Hill or Crichton or somewhere in between, it's about Jesus here, and we believe that you have a divine destiny, and we want to help you fulfill it. So thank you for helping us be that kind of church. I'm really proud of you for that. <clears throat> and so any move of God can only be as good as the caliber of the people that God has to work with. And if that's true, I'm really excited about what God's going to do here in 2019 because he has you to work with. And so what we traditionally see in this passage is what the people devoted themselves to. But what I want to show you is who did the devoting. Because it's not just the methodology, but it's the kind, the quality of people that they were in the New Testament. And what kind of, and quality of people were they? They were devoted people. So the passion, the commitment, the energy, the motivation for ministry, the prayer, the generosity, the reaching of lost people, um, the kindness, all of that did not come from the leaders of the church. It came from the people of the church. They devoted themselves. You know, and, and we are a church that does church for unchurched people. We are the kind of church that unchurched people like coming to. I've had people tell me, uh, man, I, I didn't know that's what church was like. Well, I mean, we're not normal, I get that, but at the same time, um, it says a lot about you. Um, I, I went to, I went to uh, visit somebody in ICU last week that was in an accident, and we're believing God for a full recovery, and God's working there. But anyway, I walked into ICU, and one of the head nurses there, he said, oh, I'm sorry, sir, we're closed. And I said, oh, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm a clergy. Uh, and the guy goes, oh, I'm going to have to see some proof. <laughs> so I, I got carded. <laughs> Your pastor got carded. And I get it. I don't look like a pastor. I don't act like a pastor is supposed to look. Uh, what did I say? I don't look like a pastor is supposed to look and act like a pastor is supposed to act. I, I get that. I'm not a traditional pastor. I, I told some people the other day, I wasn't originally designed to be a pastor. And so, um, but I think God put me, and it is the Lord that put me here. I didn't put myself here. The Lord put me in this position because the Lord wants to do something different. And so he needed somebody different. And that's why we're all, we're in this love together. We're going we're to see what God wants to do through us. And if he can do it through Gideon's radical remnant of 300, he can work through us. And, um, and we're all different. And that's part of what I love about this church is that we're all different. But the, my favorite thing is that we are devoted to him and to one another and to expressing the love and kindness of Jesus to our city in spite of caste, color, creed, culture, socioeconomic, whatever, we want to show and help people experience 
Jesus. It's kind of like, would the real Jesus please stand up? Not the religious Jesus, not the man-made Jesus, not the white Jesus or the black Jesus or the baby Jesus in his little golden diapers or whatever, but, but the real Jesus, the one who God gave to the world and died on a cross for your sin and for mine and for our city and for the nations of the earth. That's the Jesus that this city and this world needs to see, and they're going to see it through his people, through us. And I know that we're not perfect and we all have our issues, but we're gonna, we're, we've decided to be a church that doesn't focus on the speck in each other's eye, right? And here's something else. We're not even going to focus on the beam of timber in our own eye. We're going to focus on Jesus and we're going to let him talk to us about the things he wants to talk to us about and change the things that he wants to change because we're not going to be sin conscious. We're going to be Jesus conscious. And all the imperfections are going to fall away because when we're focused on our own junk and stuff, then we can't be conformed to the image of Jesus. But when we're focused on Jesus, trust me, if there's something in your life, an issue he wants to talk to you about, he has a way of getting your attention. Can I get an amen right there? So I look around the room and I see, like me, I see a lot of young people. And these are the best years of our life. So what kind of church don't we want to be and do we want to be over the next 20 years? Because nowadays in church world, the responsibility is transferred from the people to the leaders And in modern times, I mean, 2,000 years later, pastors and leaders spend a lot of their time doing what once flowed out of the people themselves. And so, but that's not necessarily the case here. And it's taken some intentionality to shift that. Because nowadays, leaders try to spend their time being devoted for the people, when in the New Testament, the people were devoted all by themselves, for themselves. And so, if a first century church leader, pastor, was to walk into the church in America today, I think they would be shocked and surprised at what pastors spend their time doing compared to what they spent their time doing in the New Testament. And no wonder they had signs, wonders, miracles, and people getting born again by the groves. And so, you know, some things started shifting a a few years ago, and here's how it happened. Um, One night, my wife and I, we in bed and we were praying for a couple that we had done some marriage counseling with. And we were just agonizing and saying, Lord, save their marriage. And because and, and we had just met with them and they were going through a really challenging phase in their, in their marriage. And my wife, who, who's not here today because she is overcoming some symptoms and she knew we had babies and she didn't want to breathe on the babies and that kind of thing. But she's watching us. Hello, love. She's watching us on the streaming live stream. But my wife is amazing. If you don't know her, she's a phenomenal person she's a strong leader but she's extraordinarily empathetic she has it's an it's a gift I don't have that gift as like she does it um, I have to be told how I feel sometimes but she knows how everybody feels she just has that gift and so when we are in these marriage counseling situations she's so empathetic and she feels people's pain so much and she and, and it enables her, her to help people but sometimes when couples will leave, let's say, for example, maybe the man was, was um, doing some things he shouldn't have been doing in, in the relationship, whatever, watching pornography or cheating. And so they would leave, and then I would notice she's mad at me. 
And it took me some time to, she's texting me right now. She's, uh, it took me some time to figure out uh, that, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Honey, that, that was him. That's not me. I, I know you feel the pain, but it's not, it's not me. And so, but one night we're in bed and we're praying we're for this couple. And, and so I think, oh, I'm so glad uh, that I'm getting ready to start this four-week marriage uh, series in our church. Now, you might not be able to tell, but I spend anywhere from six to ten hours per message preparing for every message. And so I take it very seriously. And so I put probably 40 hours into preparing for this marriage series that I did, you know, those years ago. And, and I thought, oh, this is perfect timing for this couple. You know, in the first week I got up, we used to have one service back then, and I, I didn't see them in the service. I thought, well, maybe they're sick today, or one of their kids are ill or something like that. And then the next Sunday, they weren't there. And so I thought, what? What's going on? And, and so we called them. Hey, we're doing this marriage series. It's just what you need. Uh, and we really want you to come and catch the next two weeks of the, of the marriage series. Well, well, we're too busy. And so two, weeks, two more weeks go by, and they call to make an appointment for a marriage counseling. And so I told them, we're too busy. This is, this is a true story. And, and so... I just spent 40 hours preparing and teaching exactly what you needed for your marriage. And so why do I care about your marriage more than you do? And so I, and I really, it dawned on me, I'm up at midnight praying awake, praying for their marriage, and they're home asleep. And so I told them I was too busy to counsel them. And this true story, they left our church. You know what they told people? Over there at that church, they don't have any love. But I decided, this was about five years ago, I decided right then and there what kind of church we're going to be. I'm not going to be more devoted. I'm not going to be devoted for you. I'm going to pastor you to be devoted for yourself. Because I'm not going to care about your marriage more than you care about your marriage. So the first thing you do when you have a marriage problem isn't call me, it's you work on it. And then you join a marriage small group. The first thing I ask people when they call for counseling now, are you part of a small group? Well, no. You're missing out on a lot of the godly counsel that's available for you by not being in a small group. And not that we don't counsel people that aren't in small groups, I'm not saying that, but, but we've started trying to help people be devoted. Here, here's one. Pastor, would you pray for me that I would, I, would, uh, be, that I would get out of debt? Sounds good, right? And I got to thinking about it. Well, what would you suggest for me to pray? Lord, please help this person stop being stupid and spending money they don't have. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> I mean, what do I pray? Now, I could share some wisdom with you. Or better yet, you could get in a financial peace small group and start making better decisions. And if you will do what you're learning in about a year, you might be out of debt. Oh, that pastor, he just doesn't have any compassion. Well, they wanted me to lay hands on him and rebuke the spirit of debt. They wanted, they wanted me to transfer my debt-removing anointing upon their life. Well, listen, the anointing doesn't cancel out stupid. 
okay? So my point is, is that I, one of my goals is to pastor one of the most spiritually mature congregations on the Gulf Coast, and, and that's probably every pastor's goal for their congregation. But my point is, is that when we devote ourselves, then we start seeing God move in ways that we've always hoped and dreamed, as opposed to, oh, well, that's what, I, that's what we pay the pastor for, to do that stuff. Anybody get anything out of this today? <laughs> and, you know, and it's like, how often can I get up here and come up with some clever idea to talk you out of a dime out of every dollar if you're not devoted? If Jesus can't convince you that his word is true and that tithing is the foundation of kingdom prosperity and kingdom generosity, then who do I think I am to, you know, can I trick you into it? Or, um, you know, we offer the 90-day challenge. It's a money-back guarantee. I mean, it's a pretty good deal. But it's kind of like if Jesus can't, if you're trusting Jesus with your eternal soul, but you can't trust him with a dollar out of every $10 bill, then are you really devoted and it's like, like I, I can't twist your arm. I don't even think that pastors and preachers should twist people's arms to give because I think that generosity that flows out of a devoted heart. Either you have one or you don't. And how do you get one? Well, that's a good question. Did the, did the, okay, let me ask you this. In the New Testament, did God just love those people more than he loves us? Let me ask you this. Did those people love God more than we love God? <laughs> That's the part I don't know. But I do know this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. They came to church more than 1.7 times a month, which is now the, that's the average church attendance of the devoted, uh, faithful Christian in America today. 1.7 times. And then we ask questions like, well, why does God do miracles when you go to India, but we don't see that here? I have people ride a train with no air condition, no running water, for four days to come hear me speak. And then they ride the train four days back. But God did a miracle in their life. Why? God didn't love them more than he loves us. But the devotion level is on a different level. And again, I'm not trying to beat you up today. I want you to know that I see your devotion. And at the same time, I'm asking you to do something the Lord's inviting me to do. Is, Lord, imagine your life if it were totally devoted to the Lord. Would it be any different? And if our church was totally and completely devoted to the Lordship of Jesus, what would, what would change? Would it be any different? Because if you want to go to a nice church, I could recommend about 10 of them in Mobile. Some of them have stained glass, and they really are nice. Some of them have much better, I love our lights and all that, but some of them have much better stuff than we do, the sparkly churches. But our goal isn't to be a sparkly church. We want to be a devoted church. 
So that when people walk in off the street, and I don't know if you know this, but years and years ago, people would prophesy and say, people are just going to drive by your church and something's going to compel them to come in. And I thought, wow, wow, that'll be the day. <laughs> and then this year, um, I've talked to newcomers and stuff. Well, how did you hear about our church? And they've, they, you know what they said? Well, we were just driving by. And something just on the inside just said, you ought to go to that church. And I thought, wow, it's starting to happen. <laughs> I mean, how many of us, how many of us, it's really good when the Holy Spirit starts advertising for you. It's better than a billboard, man. It's awesome. And so I don't want to be, my goal isn't for us to be a big church. My goal is for us to be a powerful church where people can walk in off the street and addictions stop, depression leaves demons come out death and disease are stopped in their tracks divorces get annulled where the manifest presence of god can be experienced not because the preacher is so great we've already figured that out but because the people are so devoted to such a great god that's you that's you amen I'll tell, you, I'll tell you one kind of funny but true story, funny, sad story. It's about a former pastor who turned into a, a, a barkeeper. And when he was pastoring, he ended up uh, hooked on medication or prescription drugs because he was, <laughs> he was so stressed out by his congregation. And so in, in midlife, he decided, well, I'm not going to do that. So he, he resigned and got off of medication drugs, and he became a bartender. He opened a, a pub, and so somebody asked him, they said, what happened? And he said, well, we looked at ourselves one day, and we thought, what are we doing with our lives? Do we, and they said, well, do you like being a, a pub keeper? And he said, um, yes, and I'll tell you why. My drinkers are devoted all by themselves. <laughs> I never have to phone them up or text them that they need to be here. Uh, I never have to go. In fact, they come and they knock on the door early. They say, are you open yet? Will you let us in? And then I have to ring a bell and flash a light to let them know we're about to close down for the night. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. You know, that kind of thing. And furthermore, it's costing them to be here. So when I heard that story, I thought, I don't want to run a bar one day because I got burned out by the reluctance of the people of God. And yet I'm up here killing myself to cajole people to commit themselves and to give a dime out of every dollar and to serve in the nursery or whatever, fill in the blank, right? And so if Jesus can't get you to devote yourselves, who do I think I am? to get you to devote yourselves because if I get you to devote yourselves is it really real is it really devotion or is it the man manipulation of some slick silver-tongued orator who has motivated you or emotionally to make a decision and then when you, you know in a couple of weeks let's be honest the emotion's going to wane you're going to start thinking okay wait a minute I decided to give 10% of my income to a local church because why? It's Christmas, and I, my kids need a new PS4. I mean, what was I thinking? Or, uh, oh, gosh, 
that's tomorrow. I said I'd volunteer in the parking lot. Whew, oh, man. SEC championship was today, and it was really a taxing game, really emotional. I don't know if I can go up there and park cars after that. So, so we got to get past the emotion, and it's got to get down to the brass tacks of are we really, who are we really devoted to? Why do we do what we do? So when I made this adjustment some years ago, about five years ago actually, that I wasn't going to care about people's marriage more than they did, and I wasn't going to, um, somebody who wanted me to pray for their finances, I'm going to say, well, do you tithe? No. I said, no, I'm not going to pray for you. Just go do the word of God. Start there. And if you'll just do God's word, I probably don't need to pray for you. Okay? And so when I decided to start um, helping people grow up, I started to see a change in our church. And in the last five years, I crunched the numbers just a couple of days ago, that our church has grown in attendance and in finances in every way almost 25%. It's like 23 point some odd percent. What changed? I changed. You changed. God didn't change. So here's my point, is that if that's what we've seen over the last five years, well, where we are now how devoted we are now. Now, our volunteerism is high. You are generous. Our tithing members are much greater than the average church. We're still not 50%, which, as I said last week in my amazing message on Juicy Fruit, you should go listen to it. Um, I said, uh, it wasn't very theological, but in, I grew up in South Jackson, Mississippi, um, the percentage of, of tithers in the body of Christ today sucks. And I'm sorry I didn't have a more. A Greek word for it is baloney. But, but, but either way, just think if God's people were all 100% involved, or let's say it this way, if they devoted themselves. What could God do? We're not believing for a move of God. That's what we say we're believing for. But God's believing for a move of man for us to devote ourselves to him so perhaps one of the reasons for the explosive growth in the early church is not what the leaders did but what the leaders did not do and what the people did all by themselves so in this calendar year we have about a hundred new people that are regularly attending our church um so we i'm trying to teach the the new dogs not to learn the old tricks while teaching the old dogs some new tricks. And the whole thing's quite tricky, actually. <laughs> but the status quo has been upset in a good way. And we, we, are, we are healthy, in case you were wondering. We're healthy. In fact, we're going to do something really fun this Wednesday night. If you serve on any of our volunteer teams, we're going to do our annual volunteer Christmas party. It's a blast. It's where we just say thank you to you for serving. And if you're not on a volunteer team... After the service, go sign up and then come to the party. <laughs> we'll feed you dinner and give you a present. So, what kind of church do we want to be here in Mobile? Well, one day I'd like to have a parking garage, but that's beside the point. We want to be a church that reaches the lost. Not a somebody was sitting in my seat this morning kind of church. I told you that one, one day that children's workers came to me and said, Pastor, there's a kid that's using the F-bomb in kids' church. And I said, praise the Lord. And they're like, what? I said, yeah, that means we're finally reaching unchurched people. 
And I was here years and years and years ago, and one of the elders was all concerned and upset and came to me and said, Pastor, there's cigarette butts all around the front door of the church. You better fix this problem. I said, yes, sir. So the next week, I installed a giant ashtray by the front doors. It's still out there, by the way, if you need it. So they left the church, too. The elder did. But the smokers started coming. I'll take that trade any day. But we're no longer an attractional church, but a relational church. Not a church that has small groups, but a church of small groups. A church that loves each other and loves the Lord first. So, today, I, this was, I know this was not a normal kind of message, but I hope that in a weird way it encouraged you because I want you to know that uh, as your pastor, a couple of things, that I, not only do I love you, but I like being your pastor. And I know that I don't think the original call of God on my life was to be a pastor. It was to be uh, a missionary, actually. And the Lord brought me back to the city. And when I asked him why one day, he, I said, God, you're moving in India. When I go there, there miracles happen and people get saved by the bus lo- train load and you're moving in this country and, and, uh, and the Lord says well what do you think I brought you back to America for so I wanted you to know that the Lord's given me a word for 2019 and I'm so excited I can't, I can't wait to share it with you but it's not time yet to share it with you but if just half of what God has showed me for 2019 comes to pass we are in for the single greatest year that our church has ever experienced in the history of our church. I'm so excited about it. But it's going to take people who have devoted themselves. Because we say we want to move of God and an outpouring of God's spirit. But can I tell you that that's not always convenient. It infringes on our schedule and our creature comforts. But if you've ever lived... In and through a move of God, nothing else will ever satisfy you again. And we're in for the greatest year, I believe, that our church has ever experienced. And I want to thank you in advance for being a part of that because I believe that you are devoted. I believe that there's a call of God on your life. And I'm so excited to see what God does, not just for you, because he's going to do some cool things for you in the coming season. What I'm even more excited about is what he's going to do through you. That's what I'm really excited about. I'll close with this, and and, uh, this will segue us into the portion of our service where we give. And I've kept you a little long today. I apologize. But it's Christmas, right? And so a a couple of years ago, about two years ago, uh, not even two years ago, it was about 23 months ago, to be exact. I don't know why I remember that, random. But I was having breakfast with a couple of pastors in another city, and they were just rejoicing. And one of them said, man, I, I... the quarterback for this NFL team. He, he attends my church, and he's a believer, and he's a tither. And I was like, man, that's awesome. Praise the Lord. He just got a signing bonus. That's great. And then another guy goes, yeah, I got this guy who's a billionaire that started coming to my church, and he just wrote our church a $5 million check. And I'm thinking, well, that's great. We're believing for our first million-dollar year at our church, but that's great. One check, $5 million. Praise the Lord. And I really was rejoicing with them, but when I left that breakfast, I said, hey, Jesus, <laughs> can we talk for just a minute? I said, good, would you send some millionaires to our church? And the Lord doesn't always just speak to me instantly, but he, in that moment, in my heart, he, on the inside, he spoke to me. He goes, I might not send millionaires to your church, but, but I will raise them up in your congregation. Any volunteers? <laughs> Amen. And so, and so it puzzled me a little bit. I said, well, uh, 
Why will you do it that way? And the Lord says, first, I'm getting them devoted to the house, to me and to the house. And then when I bless them, they won't have any problem being generous because they'll know where it came from. Amen? Amen? So when I say I'm really excited about what God's going to do for you, I am. But I'm even more excited about what God's going to do through you. And I'm not just talking about the offering. I'm talking about when you lay hands on the sick, they're going to recover. And when you talk to a couple that's on the brink of divorce, God's going to restore them. And when you pray for somebody who's out of their mind, God's going to restore their soul. And when you talk to that person who's an atheist, they're going to experience the reality of God in you. And they're not going to be able to deny the existence of God. And they're going to serve him. We're going to see some amazing things. But it's not going to be because I'm a great preacher. It's going to be because you guys are a great church. I really believe that.